Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons, official show of UTHDynasty.com. And it's the one feature show a year we focus on redraft. So here we are talking about season-long fantasy, putting our teams together. Uh, the next few days, we'll come out with the UTH best ball contest, player salaries as well. So we are in the season of lineups in the season of the preseason is behind us and T-building for the one-year perspective on this show. But Katie, wanted to start out with, I mean, let's uh, let's pour one out and let, let us uh, assess going forward with Brian Robinson. Out of the blue here, he was winning the, the starting job, projected to probably see the most carries in week one, two gunshot wounds in DC and positive reports, but we still don't have much of an expectation on, is he going to be out part of the year, all of the year? Uh, you know, is he going to be back in October? Like we have no expectation here for how long he could be out. Sounds like, you know, being stable, stable condition right away that non-life threatening, all of these positive things on the life and the person perspective, but on the dynasty perspective and the Washington depth chart perspective, Antonio Gibson, this is about as good news as you could get. We will see if they sign somebody. They still have J.D. McKissick. What's your overall reactions here, Robinson, Gibson, Washington in general, for our dynasty teams? Well, first of all, I'm very sorry to hear the news about Brian Robinson. It was a gut shot because he's been one of my favorites for a while. Just his toughness to stay at Alabama, even when he wasn't getting any shot at playing and now to have this happen when he had a real opportunity to start for a national football league team. I don't think that it ends his career, but whether or not we see him this year and for how much that could change the trajectory completely. And then, yeah, it opens the door back. You know, everybody that was hating on Antonio Gibson. Now, all of a sudden he's back to being fairly valuable. I don't think he'll slip as far in redraft drafts anymore. JD McKissick is there and, and it'll probably be a little bit of shake it up more of the same of what we've seen in, in the past years. But I just feel really, really bad uh, for Brian Robinson. Yeah. And, and it really puts him in a sticky spot, you know, dynasty wise, because he was projected to possibly see our lineups early, be one of the few rookie running backs to do so. Uh, someone that was falling even this month, even with some of this positive preseason movement for him and, and buzz and momentum, he was still one that was going mid second, maybe even later second viewed as going in a you know crowded depth chart, even if he was going to potentially uh, produce and uh, and be in that one a spot. I kind of wonder, Katie, if you had the opportunity right now to cash out. I actually saw one of the recent deals in the last twenty four hours was for a future second and third. Do you think clearing the roster spot? You know, if it's mid twenties roster size, let's say, I mean, getting a second and third is pretty much getting out for what you paid. Is that a situation that you would explore, or do you say, well, he was on this trajectory, and if he comes back during the year? Um, or is you know is this one where you just say things could change by the time he himself is healthy and then just banking that second and third clearing the roster spot moving on to some other running back in a requisite depth is is the more prudent play i think cash out and save the roster spot he was shot in the legs which as a running back that's not a great place i mean not that you want to get shot anywhere but even if he does come leg back shot what, a glute shot right we, yeah we don't right. know affecting the lower body for a running back right right so who knows what time he'll see this year and a lot goes on he's a rookie and the speed of the game by mid-season late season by the time it's not like he will be full pads practicing right out the gate right. i just think that this was his opportunity and now 
the door is already closed for this season. Even if he plays a little bit, I don't think he's going to get that starter gig. Antonio Gibson is a very talented athlete. So is McKissick. And I don't see him turning back and, and giving the keys back over to the, the rookie. And so I'd rather take the second and third, which in next year's class, that's a potential to use that to move up. Maybe you don't make those picks, but being able to have something extra to move up into the first round next year will be so critical. I'd rather have that. Yeah. And I, I think what we need to watch for Antonio Gibson specifically is what does Washington do? You know, it, does this mean that they keep uh, Jonathan Williams? Does it? Do they keep Jared Patterson? Is it more of the same from previous iterations, or do they bring somebody in? I mean, we we've seen reports that you know Alexander Madison could he be on the move? Sony Michelle was released. There's some free agents out there, and I think the higher up on the pecking order that they add somebody, if they do, will tell us what we need to know about how comfortable they are. Basically, going back and reverting to the 2021 version of this depth chart, where Antonio Gibson was a top 15 to 18 play. You had McKissick mixing in. And I think their offense is going to be better. So you combine better offense with a Gibson that was already on that running back two with running back one moments. And this is really, I mean, a best case, with how things were trending, a best case scenario for Gibson. And I think you're going to have the opportunity now to feel much more comfortable starting him. He's going to go right back to having that good workload. And we still are going to have some PPR question, but I think you're going to have a window of insulation for your lineup this year, but also the insulation to now revert and, and circle back to the marketplace that you might be able to facilitate so, some bigger deals. Um, I wanted to ask you, Katie, I had a couple of Gibson trades down here. It seems like the best the best avenue might be instead of going after something in a one for one, two for two kind of fashion, can you use Gibson as a secondary piece to get up to a stronger level or upgrade at another position might be your best chance. I was curious though, one that I saw was Gibson for uh, Rashad Penny and Naheem Hines. Um, so what are your thoughts on Gibson specifically versus Penny on who has the bigger ceiling and who you trust a little bit more? I trust Gibson more. Okay. In that case, yeah. uh, I don't see that as an upgrade. Okay. And then the, the other deal I saw was, uh, again, using Gibson as a secondary piece here, was Gibson, Hopkins, and Kelsey for Kyle Pitts and a second. So do you think that insulates you enough? I mean, in a, in a one tight end scenario, is, is Kelsey to Pitts something that you should add a couple times over for? If it's not tight end premium, yeah. heck no. Okay. I love Kyle Pitts, yeah. and I think the sky's the limit for him, but does that give you enough positional advantage over losing three starters or two right. starters? I don't remember who that middle piece was. because Hopkins, yeah. Hopkins, right. So, yeah, I mean, he's suspended for the first six games, but that, he's still going to come back and be DeAndre Hopkins. It's not like he's dead yet. Um, yeah. I just think that's too much. I think you should have got something with pits for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think with Gibson, um, the, the last thing I'll say is I doubt you're going to be able to truly reset the clock all the way to saying like, get a first. So if that's not really in play, I think you're pretty much having him in your running back rotation going into the year at least. And let's see how things roll. He has had big games in the past and there is the potential for him to have a good string and Robinson not being much of an impact at all this entire season. So um, I wouldn't just bail for like a second and some other you know ancillary type thing. I mean, I think you need to get something of value or he needs to be a second or third piece where you're truly upgrading to a cornerstone or anchor player. Right. And the thing that people forget or people that are playing hot potato with Antonio Gibson is unless you paid up for him after his rookie season, you got him for a bargain. Second there is, there's absolutely or maybe even third at, at times, depending on when when you had your draft. But it's okay to have him on your roster and not have him in your starting lineup if you don't trust him. It's okay right. to have a talented guy that could be your flex play or a bye week or, you know, running backs, you, they don't grow on trees, but you don't want to give them away to your competition because if they do well, then you're double messing yourself up because you've sold cheap and that's your competition. Right. And be more sensitive to having 
a drove of wide receivers that are unstartable, just kind of sitting around on your depth chart, as opposed to that's a you know, huge the other running backs. Exactly. Right. That, yeah. that Gibson. I mean, how would you feel about in week four if McKissick is hurt? I bet you'd feel pretty good about Gibson in your lineup. So that only takes one thing. One and what's the rush? What's the rush? At this point, he's exactly. the starter. Yeah. Why are you rushing to sell him? Exactly. If you can't get what he's worth, hold him. It's that easy. It's really that easy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sometimes the best decision is no decision. You know, status quo. Um, the other thing, and if you had any quick rapid fire on this, Jimmy Garoppolo stays in San Francisco, uh, takes an abbreviated uh, lesser deal. But the fact that he's still there in San Francisco is this big deal, no deal for Trey Lance, the leash he might have had if Garoppolo were gone this year. Um, what's kind of your thinking, your calculus in that we got all the way to the end of the road and it is basically status quo? If a bear shits in the wood, does it still stink? Very much so. That's all I got to say. All right. There you go. And I, I pity the Twitter account that said they're going to keep drawing him until until he gets traded because that's not happening for another another uh, few months here. So uh, yeah, Garoppolo stays there. It definitely gives the 49ers an out. It gives them a, uh, a fail safe if things aren't going right or if they view things could be going better with a different quarterback under center. So very interesting. Uh, I just remember Jordan and I were talking about it for months <laughs> that checks watch <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo still on the roster. And that is now going to continue for the foreseeable future. All right. Uh, redraft, Katie. Here we are. We both play some redraft, not as much as Dynasty, but um, any overarching thoughts or themes for redraft or 2022 specifically? Yes. So in redraft, I like to make my own strength of schedule. I list out all of the teams. I take it off of the ESPN site. So I know when they're playing at home, when they're playing uh, on the road and who their opponents are, when their bye week is. And then I've got uh, green color coded for the fantasy playoffs weeks 15 through 17. And then I do, uh, I highlight the bottom 10 teams based on what it looks like for team defense. And then the top 10 teams, I color code those in red. And then I, then I make a list. How many easy games do they have against bottom 10 teams in the regular season and then in the fantasy playoffs and how many hard regular season games they have and how many hard games during the playoffs against top 10 teams? I mark which teams have bad or young quarterbacks, those that have slight upgrade over the bad quarterbacks, so that it's very easy. A It's basically a month at a glance or a week at a glance type schedule. And then I look at the rankings and I make my list of target and avoid players based on their ADP. And I'm using the ESPN top 300 because it's relatively most redraft leagues. The people that I talk to play on ESPN. It's going to be slightly different for Sleeper and for Yahoo, but relatively within, you know, a handful of positions. And and so again, I, I color code my avoid players in bright yellow and my money players, the target players in green, so that it's very easy to see which guys that I want to be targeting. And then I take my draft position once I know what that is, and I go through and I fine tune fine tune it even more. So that's my process. And again, if I've got a tie between a guy that's got a really good fantasy playoffs versus uh, very strong opponents in the fantasy playoffs and really, truly both guys are pretty equal at their ADP, I'm going to usually take that into consideration and be the tiebreaker. Yeah. Uh, the first thing, uh, one, one thing I do uh, is... When I get that ADP list and I put it out, uh, you can actually see on UTH, I put out a uh, one quarterback and super flex board um, there. You can download if you're a subscriber. And one of the things that I think is really important to get a lay of the land at every position, and you can do this in a dynasty startup draft as well, but I think in redraft being the more, the more uh, one season sprint here that I, I start at the bottom and I just start highlighting who I think is interesting. At the various price points, and that could be starting at running back, you know, eighty or ninety, you know, and working my way up. You know, who are some of these backups, or who I, who do I think could be in a committee of interest or clarity? You know, you just start working your way up, and you do this at every position, and I think it becomes pretty easy to see 
if you had to wait on a position or if a certain position gets away from you, then which one you would rather have it be? Now, I would say most of the time it's pretty easy at quarterback. If it's a start one, you can, you can, I mean, pretty much just wait and blindfold yourself until 10 to 12 quarterbacks are gone and then you can start uh, and, and you'll be just fine because it's so deep because you don't worry about age and insulation and some of those factors that go into dynasty. It's, it's a four month sprint. And so, uh, again, I think you need to look at situ- or you look at, hey, you know, how, how deep is tight end? How many guys am I comfortable with? If I miss out on the first few guys, am I just going to wait all the way where most of them are the same or do I have really strong preferences? Just start highlighting guys that you find interesting in every position at their relative price point or ranking point within the position. And that alone is going to give you kind of like a roadmap. It's almost going to look like one of those uh, visual puzzles that you're going to see at certain points of each position that you have more or less compared to the others. Yep. That's another good thing. And I, I do something similar, but I start at the top and work my way down when I highlight and I put like a yes, no, or maybe an avoid or target. That's my tag, my five tags, either. Yes. I want to draft them at their ADP or similar. No, I don't want anything to do with them. Target avoid, or even a maybe just depends on where my draft position is and where they fall. If they fall too far, then they become a value. But if they're at their ADP, then no, I don't. That's why the maybe. Yeah. And one one general thing that I would say is is fade rookies. As a general, you've got to get a pretty gar- darn good deal. You want to gravitate towards running back of any of the positions. But just know that the year one hit rate is so low across the board that you need to be very, very careful about going for the, the shiny objects. And I know coming if you're coming from Dynasty World, and this is a Dynasty show, and between us, we play in a, dozens upon dozens of leagues that, yeah, we have our annual draft and it's all about rookie evaluation and, and, and scouting and all these types of things. But redraft is a different animal. And when in doubt, you need to go for the profiles that have been there, done that. And typically, the ones that are going to have been there after this year are not the ones that are are entering their first year in the NFL, unfortunately. Right. And one of the things that I want to say about rookies is they could also be the best value. However, you don't have as many bench spots. Sometimes you only have six. Sometimes you have eight. But even those are so critical to have the highest upside. So you look at the upside and most of the time, and again, rookies, if they have a three-week window where they can help you, that is worth a later round shot. However, if they're usually not going to hit until the second half of the year, I put them on my watch list rather than drafting them right out of the gate because then it's it. most people aren't going to draft them or they're going to drop them after the first few weeks of not doing anything when they have an injury and then they need to pick somebody else up. So you should be having them on your watch list and keeping an eye on them and see if they are owned by somebody else, what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, so, so one thing I was saying about that was to get the steep discount, you know, uh, that, and, and what you said, I think is really important is if you're coming from, 22, 25 man rosters in Dynasty is considered shallow for you. Then when you go down to 16, 18 home leagues, online drafted leagues, unless they're draft master best ball type stuff, they generally don't venture higher than 18 or 20 spots. And they might even be more shallow. So just know that that waiver wire temptress on a weekly basis on the new, the bright, the shiny is going to be there way more than your dynasty leagues. And the options are going to be better. You're going to have regular run injury away running backs, perhaps even a guy that wins and now is the starter at a certain point during the season from the waiver wire. So just know that the pull and the value that you said, Katie, uh, of the bench spots is a lot more valuable than dynasty in the sense that a higher quality player. Plus, you're not going to be able to have that stickiness for a long, long time because you can't uh, roster and keep everybody through bye weeks. And if you've got an injury that isn't doesn't result in a in an injury uh, in a IR stint or or anything like that, you have to carry that player if they are worthwhile and usually in your lineup. So you have a lot of these situations in the meaty 
you know, 10 weeks of the season where you're going to need to churn spots and you're going to have some tough decisions to make. So that's why you really need to make sure that from a team building perspective and from a non-allegiant standpoint in the last five, six roster spots and, and draft picks you make, just know that they're going to be in and out of your roster, period, even if you're trying hard to keep them. Right. I remember last year I was helping my buddy draft and I suggested that he draft AJ Dillon like in one of the last draft spots. And he did. And then I got so angry at him because in two weeks in, he already yeah. had dropped him. It's like, no, what the, you don't drop a guy like that. He's not going to do anything until mid season. And then yeah. if Aaron Jones was hurt last year, it would have been a huge, he ended up doing all right in the second half of the year. He would have been fine. It's so you have to leave patience on certain guys. And then, you know, if you draft, you know, running backs, running back 65, you know, like, you know, Tyler Algier, you take a shot on him in round 14, then yeah, he may not make it through September. You just need to know that. But if you go higher than that, or if AJ Dillon, you know, or Madison or those types that are clarified and higher and all this type of stuff, you've got to be patient. Otherwise, frankly, you can't make the pick because then it becomes a wasted one. Exactly. And so that's the point is know yourself, know your tendencies, and you don't have very many roster spots. By week start, uh, you I, obviously you're going to have to flies with by weeks. I mean, you just get in bad situations where you need to pick up a starter or two in a given week, possibly. Right. So week six is the beginning of the bye weeks and you should have some clarity by then. But for some people to even hold a player for six weeks is, is a tough thing. Katie, do you have any general themes like, and, and I know it varies year to year, but anyone that you've done this year, a stock sort of format that, that you're generally like, do you generally gravitate towards like trying to get a stud tight end? Do you go late quarterback, early quarterback? Do you typically go wide receiver or running back earlier than the other one. Like, do you have any commonalities generally for this year or redraft it overall for you? I do. I do. And uh, especially if it's 16 to 18 team rosters, you got to start two running backs, two to three wide receivers, depending, and then one flex spot. It's not super flex. I'm going to draft my quarterback third to last. I'm going to draft my defense second to last, and I'm going to draft my kicker uh, last. Tight end, if I can get one of the top five without sacrificing too much at running back or wide receiver, then I'm fine grabbing a tight end because they can be a difference maker. But if I don't get one of those stud tight ends, guess what? My tight end is fourth to last. Okay. Do you have a do you have a favorite tight end sleeper this year? If you well, go, if I, you go in the late rounds? Yeah, Zach Ertz is fairly reasonable priced okay. in that range. And I think you could wait. I do like Hunter Henry in New England with Mac Jones being a second year and they really didn't strengthen their wide receiver. And now even if you think they did with Tycon Tyquan Thornton, he's already injured. So their wide receiver, the thing you look for for a tight end is they don't have a, a wide receiver, a true wide receiver one, and they've got a quarterback that can deal the ball. That's Mac Jones. That's the Patriots. They love to use two tight end sets. And so, yeah, Hunter Henry, Zach Ertz, uh, even David Joku or Austin Hooper are late enough where I think you could get them fourth to last and still get a decent and then just stream off the waiver wire for when they have a bye week. Yeah. Um, one of my my tenants is, is the, the late quarterback. And just, I mean, for example, I mean, Tom Brady is going outside the top six, seven, eight quarterbacks like that would, that might be one of the earlier side guys, but I mean, you can still get Derek Carr, Kirk cousins, Jameis Winston might be a final round pick you can get, for example. Um, so I always like to go late just because I like to have that flexibility because there's going to be starters available on the waiver wire that if you draft a quarterback in the fifth or sixth round, you may not, you know, ever feel like you can drop them. And so you'll end up rostering a couple quarterbacks or maybe even three, depending on the waivers and the buys and the injuries and all this stuff in season. Whereas if you take a later quarterback, that uh, that price price investment 
uh, connection that you're going to have is not as strong, and it really provides you a lot more freedom and flexibility. So, and, and frankly, I just kind of think that um, there's plenty of of good plays. Uh, like Winston's one of my favorite, for example. I think Kirk Cousins has a ton of upside as well as Derek Carr, and and the yep. fact that you're you're getting that for rounds and rounds less, where you can still build out the uh, you know the the basis point of your top four, five, six running backs and wide receivers. Um, in those middle rounds, I think is a is a real key one. Um, and one other point is I, I typically uh, I generally gravitate towards uh, at least one running back in the first two or three rounds. I know some people like to build with oh I'll just go late running backs late late late. Well, I, I like to get the cornerstone guys that I know that they're going to have a big time role. They don't need help, and they basically don't have a lot of profile. Um, profile or talent or hold the job questions. And I know that it's it can be risky in the sense that ah, they get hurt. All of a sudden, you get a Christian McCaffrey situation from last year and it can torpedo your season. True. But if Christian McCaffrey doesn't get hurt, you win your league. So you kind of need that guy and those guys. And it's really just a hammer throw. So I find that and it's not necessarily I go running back for two or three picks in a row, but I know I generally look and break ties towards a running back in the first couple of rounds. Uh, there's some good ones that might even leak to round three this year. And Kamara going in the second round where people still think he's going to be suspended, which I has been talked over o- over and over again by, by legal resources that it's probably not happening this year. So you're getting Kamara for a discount in there in round two, and he's really hard to say no, especially if you're in the later part of round one, it curves back around and you can usually get Kamara in the second round there. But just I find running back in the first maybe 15 to 18 guys off the board, having a couple of them really makes your team look good because then you can focus on uh, wide receivers that are still pretty good going through the mid rounds. Yeah, wide receiver tends to be deeper. So I agree with you. I do like to get uh, running back, but not, you know, if if four or five go off the board, you know, one through five, then I'm probably going to pivot to the wide receiver one and then get another uh, running back, you know, of similar ilk to what I would have gotten at, at that RB5 position. So, for example, um, you can still get Leonard Fournette, James Conner, and Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, all in the second round, yeah. and maybe even into the third. You got potentially Nick Chubb in that third round zone. David Montgomery is somebody that I would absolutely be fine with in that third round. Zeke Elliott, although I don't like their offensive line and and because their wide receiver core is really weak, they should key on him. But if he slides to round four like he he has and can. Uh, you know, that's decent value. Josh Jacobs in there. The one running back that I've got as an avoid in the first round, and tell me if you agree or don't agree, but Najee Harris, he's got the worst schedule as far as strength of schedule, and he's got horrible quarterbacks and a bad offensive line. Game script wise, they're going to be behind a lot. I don't think that they're going to be, you know, the Pittsburgh offense that we've seen cooking with gas. Uh, I think they're going to be behind in a lot of games with the strength of schedule that they've got. Another one is in the second round, Javante Williams. Same thing with uh, Denver. He's got a bad, horrible fantasy playoff schedule. So if you want him for the regular season, okay, I can understand that. But you don't want to get through the regular season and then all of a sudden you've got nobody for the playoffs. And I know that's way down the road and a lot can happen, but I do like to look at the whole picture. Um Cam Akers is another avoid. He's coming off an injury. He's got a tough schedule. He's got a horrible game script for the type uh, tough schedule. So the game script, they're going to be throwing a lot to the wide receivers, and that's that's fine. You've got somebody that can air, air the ball out. And Henderson's looked pretty good. I know he's banged up too, but um, J.K. Dobbins is another avoid, even though he's a little bit later. So you've got to put your blinders on some of these names like everybody's loving Najee Harris because of the name but if you look at his schedule and everything else around man I'd rather have Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry who are sandwiching him Devontae Adams is not a bad option in that same price range later first um yeah I think I I agree globally with with the names you mentioned I, I would I would push back on Najee Harris in one capacity I don't think that the quarterback situation is going to be 
much worse, if at all worse than a year ago. And the one good thing about Najee Harris, and I love uh, Jalen Warren as much as anyone on the planet, that they still haven't really addressed and, and gotten a good backup situation going. So I still think Najee Harris market share is going to be crazy high in terms of I mean, there were games it was like 95% plus at snaps last year. I know they want to dial that back. They'd love to have it probably be in the 80s. But he's still going to be one of the very few workhorse guys that we don't have much of a question about uh, You know, receiving upside. He's going to get plenty of snaps, plenty of opportunities. So, And, and who knows? With, with George Pickens and others, they might have more of a deep threat, uh, more of a space, space out defenses kind of look. So, and the fact that Najee Harris is in the top three or four guys makes it okay and palatable to me. I still would in that same zone, you know, prefer Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook has an easier path to being a high-end running back one. And Najee Harris might not have the same ceiling perspective as, you know, Joe Mixon or Sequan Barkley who are later. Um, so those would be some of my reasons for concern. I think he's more neutral. I, I just I don't think I've drafted him yet. And it, but it's not for being an avoid player. It's just sort of where he sits right there. And it's more that I would rather get two or three of those guys that are around him. Yeah. And I don't like I don't like his playoff schedule. But if you look at Dalvin Cook, he's got a much easier schedule. He's got like the fifth easiest schedule through the regular season. Yeah. But in the playoffs, Indianapolis, the Giants, and Green Bay. And those are all, you know, not top 10, not bottom 10 teams. They're right there in the middle. And uh, I just would rather avoid Najee personally. Yeah. And one other, if anybody asks, that's what I would tell. Yep. Yeah, the one other thing I would point out uh, is I, I did an annual study long ago, and it was about uh, finding you know a discount a discount running back one uh, top twelve guy that you don't have to pay that price. And the medius zone every year was running back twenty to thirty, and these were starters that were roughed up. They did not have the global appeal. Either people didn't think that they were going to be the outright starter, or people didn't think that they were going to have enough talent or the situation was so bad that they couldn't be a top 12 option. And just to give an impression, some of the guys that are in that 20 to 30 range this year that I think, don't be surprised if one or two of these are top 12 when we look back at the end of the year. Josh Jacobs, uh, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, AJ Dillon, Antonio Gibson now with the new environment uh, there in Washington, Rashad Penny and Cordero Patterson. Uh, those are six I wrote down that are in that t- grouping of 10. And historically speaking, you usually get at least a couple that end up going into the top 12. So I know, and, and all those guys have reasons for why they won't, but I think there also is reasons for, for all of them that they could. So I, I don't know if you have any favorites of those, but they are all pretty affordable. If you do end up getting squeezed, or maybe that's your running back three in a you know on a flex spot to start your year. But if you hit, and it works for any position, I mean, if you hit big from a position where you didn't pay big, that's how you can change your team. And frankly, that's how in redraft uh, you kind of need one of those top four, five, six guys that end up just doubling and tripling their their value out of a draft. Uh, and that's what you need added to your team and a little bit of puck luck with injuries. And that's how you win. No, I 100% agree. But I want to add one more name, yeah. R- Ramondre Stevenson. He's, He's lady, RB32. Yeah. Like, uh, I think AJ Dillon, when I, the time I printed this, he was mm-hmm. RB33. And Ramondre Stevenson, those two are definitely targets. And I think that AJ Dillon with, Aaron Jones, I think he's going to be the top receiving option for uh, Aaron Rodgers. And then A.J. Dillon will get plenty of work as the they said 1A, 1A. And I truly believe that will be the case. Antonio Gibson has worked his way into a value. And because his ADP is sinking, he's RB22 on this ESPN list right there with Josh Jacobs. And I agree there's another value there with him. I'm not on board with the Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, and it's not because of Isaiah Pacheco. It's just because <laughs> uh, and it's not because of Ronald Jones. It's just because of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He has not proved to me that he can be the guy. And so even at that discount, uh, I'm not buying, like, I'm just not. I'm really interested to see, I mean, we, I don't know if we've talked about this player this whole off season pretty much, but I'm really interested to see Cordero Patterson of what their plans are, because a lot of people wanted to anoint Tyler Algier 
when he was drafted, he was playing behind Kadri Allison and you know, he was like running back four and five in some of these games. And look and and Patterson, they used he's our clear starter gloves with him. Didn't really play. And they rested Damian Williams as well, implying that Damian Williams is the number two, which isn't a big challenge point for Cordero Patterson. I mean, it seems like it's aligning that we could see a similar type season to what we saw last year for Cordero Patterson, potentially on a little bit better Falcons offense. We'll see about that. But I really think like no one is giving Patterson much of a chance. And he seems like almost like a gift card. You know, you can get him deep in drafts because no one views him as a traditional running back, but yet he's going to score pretty darn well if he has even close to the same role as last year. No, I agree with that. And regarding Rashad Penny, he's RB36 on this list, but I've got him as an avoid. He has a really tough schedule. He's got weak quarterbacks, and that's not good for game script for a running back. And He's already banged up a little bit. I know that Kenneth Walker just had surgery, so Rashad Penny is most likely the starter. I understand that, and I know that it's cheap, cheap, you know, in the 100s, but you got Chris Olave and Traylon Burks and, um, you know, Tyler Boyd and Michael Carter, Melvin Gordon, all in that same range. Uh, I just would rather pivot and not necessarily take a shot at Rashad Penny. Any any finer points at wide receiver for this year? Right. So at wide receiver, again, I did the whole thing with the schedule and during the fantasy playoffs and things like that. So more of the yes, no, avoid. I didn't have any avoids in the first round. Uh, I've got some definite yeses. Uh, I like I like the receivers that are in, in the first round. Cooper Cup, I like him. Justin Jefferson, I like him. Jamar Chase, I like him a lot. And Devontae Adams and Debo Samuels, Stephon Diggs, CeeDee Lamb. I think they're all going to get a good workload, and I like their quarterbacks. They're, that's the other thing I look at for wide receivers, that and their schedule. But a lot of times with wide receivers, the the same thing that makes running back not attractive makes a wide receiver attractive. You want the negative game script. You want them coming from behind. You want a quarterback that can sling it and and come from behind like the Jameis Winston mentality. So um, I'm looking. I think that Mike Williams is one of my first targets. So is A.J. Brown, wide receiver 15 and wide receiver 18 as far as undervalued because of their situation. I think that A.J. Brown should be the wide receiver one in Philadelphia. They've got the easiest schedule in all of fantasy football. And even in through the playoffs, they're playing freaking Chicago, Dallas, and New Orleans in the fantasy playoffs. And by then, he will have gelled with Jalen Hurts. Uh, we've got Jalen Hurts is in year four and, and you know, another big step moving forward, hopefully for him. But then you got Mike Williams, who's tied to a very good quarterback and at wide receiver 18. He's, he's a good target. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, even though he doesn't have the greatest, but he's an inexpensive. I think he's going to be the wide receiver one in Detroit again. Um, who else? Allen Robinson, huge target, wide receiver 30 range. And now he's got the best quarterback and plenty of targets there in, in uh, LA. I like Hunter Renfro and Adam Thielen. They're all right there locked together. So if you don't get Allen Robinson, be happy with Hunter Renfro or Adam Thielen. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster's in that same range, and I like him. Devonta Smith for the same reasons that I like A.J. Brown. And uh, believe it or not, even Kadarius Tony, they're going to be behind a lot in the Giants. And he's become one of Daniel Jones' favorite targets. And he's doing all kinds of stuff, which, you know, in Dynasty a year or two ago when he was drafted, I didn't like him. Uh, but in redraft this year, I think he could see quite a bunch of targets. One of the uh, one of the key formula um, I'll share is doing historical research for about 15 years now on the quarterback wide receiver connection. Make sure you're 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 filtering and answering the questions as you go through, uh, and be discerning with wide receiver in general of if they're not the wide receiver one for their team, because to be a top 12, top 24 for fantasy, I mean, almost every single one of them is the number one wide receiver for their team. And the ones that aren't are number twos, strong number twos, and attached to strong quarterbacks. So 
you can say, you know, that, oh, that fits a ton of wide receivers. Not really. If you limit it to those two things, it really does not. And you either need to have an ambiguous situation where you don't know what's going to happen. So a guy could end up being the wide receiver one, or you need to say, this quarterback is so good that they can fuel two top 12, two top 24 options in a season because that does happen a few times every year. So look for those situations where maybe tight end might be a black hole. Look for situations where you mentioned, Katie, that the volume might be strong for these passing games. Could be negative game script because the defense isn't very good. Could just be because like Tom Brady can throw 700 passes because he's Tom Brady and that's how the offense is going to funnel through. Or you're just going to have so effective of an offense, they're going to run a ton of plays uh, marching down the field. So I think you have to be uh, careful about breaking those rules in general. And I'm not going to tell you that you can't take one shot. Like, oh, I just have a feeling about so-and-so is going to be a breakout player. We don't know if they're going to be you know, the number one, uh, but I just think they're going to be such a great player. But you really have to make them the outlier of the outliers and be very, very careful about A, the price you pay, B, where are you in the wide receiver team build within the draft, and then not be passing on overt number one wide receivers or the other criteria that I mentioned in order to get that player. Uh, and I, I think if you do that at wide receiver, you're probably going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. And you can find values all the way throughout the draft. I mean, other players that uh, that you didn't mention, I don't think, um, like someone like a Brandon Cooks, you know, is constantly uh, a guy that if you get him as your wide receiver three, then you're in a pretty good spot. And you can, and, and if you end up missing or not hitting as precisely with the elite potential with your number one or number two guys, Cooks can step right in and make sure that you're not behind the position. I mean, he, he produces top 24 when for how many years that people have not expected him to do so on bad teams or changing teams. He just keeps doing it, lock and load. So uh, I think you know options like that, or you know, you, I think you mentioned Adam Thielen. Um, he's pretty late. Tyler Lockett's pretty late. Traylon Burks. If you want to take a shot on somebody, that what if I hit lightning in a bottle? Um, I think you need to look at scenarios like that and, and say. If I build up two or three guys and then I mix in, you know, maybe the solidity of a of a veteran like an Adam Thielen, maybe mix in the upside of a Traylon Burks, and now through your top five or six, you have kind of a little bit of everything where you could hit big with some players, but you could also still have profiles that are generally undervalued by the league. That's all good stuff. One of my favorite targets, and he's going like right around 91, which is wide receiver 43. I love to take a shot. If I've got three solids already, uh, I'll take DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to be out for the first six games. But mm-hmm. guess who? You know, he's got Kyler Murray, and he has shown well in the past. So you just got to put those first six games aside. And, and uh, in some cases, most, most ESPN leagues, you can't put them on uh, the IR, but I don't know what sleepers rules are or some Yahoo or some of the others, but uh, if you got lucky enough to where you could even then stash them, that's even better. I don't know of anybody that does though, but even without stashing him on IR, he's worth getting if he's your wide receiver four or even later. Yeah, and I think that that's a great important point that if you're it, know your league, and we we say that dynasty all the time, but redraft, if there's no way to stash players that are hurt or on IR or suspended or whatever, you need to know what your patience level is going to be because the worst case and, and and that's why I'm not a big advocate of Deshaun Watson, for example, that he's going to be out too long in my opinion, that you're going to end up waiting 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 and then in a critical one of the last games of your fantasy regular season, first game of the playoffs, are you going to roll him out there where he may very well be hyper rusty and it may, may be blind faith and he's really going to be an upgrade over your other quarterback situation. But just know with these other players, Hopkins being one, know your own fantasy DNA and know your league to where, hey, okay, I'm, he's going to be one of my X number of bench spots if I'm not able to put him somewhere else. And just... If you're not going to have that patience level to wait, the worst case scenario is you draft them and you drop in September for shiny objects when you should have basically had a good personal assessment on how you would feel about that in your draft itself. 
And one more that I want to throw out there, because I know that in ESPN, he's considered out. And therefore, once your draft is over, you can stash him on IR is Michael Gallup with Dallas. And he's wide receiver 64. So he's in the 165 and later range. But if you want a wide receiver that's almost ready to come back, and he's going to be the wide receiver, too. We know that Dak Prescott can support, and they're going with that horrible offensive line. He should see tons of targets. And you got no Amari Cooper this year, so it's just CeeDee Lamb. He'll be blanketed by the top cornerbacks and safeties. So Michael Gallup is a, is a bargain, and you could stash him. I think it's only going to be another week or two before he's actually out there playing. Yeah, uh, very good, very good stuff there. Um, final thoughts, Katie, for for redraft or just now that we have the preseason behind us, and you know it's tough, tough season, tough sledding for a ton of uh, professionals in the NFL that are fighting for roster spots, fighting for jobs, fighting to stick in the NFL in any form or fashion. But that means we're here, and that means we're very close to lineup season, and we're only what is it nine days away, something like that, until. The, the debut of the season, and we're going to be off and running for, for months at a time with the new landscape. Well, just the best combination of a good team defense that has uh, very weak opponents the first two games of the season is San Francisco. They play Chicago and Seattle, and then Denver's another good option. They play Seattle and Houston. And then after the first two weeks... All bets are off. You can just go ahead and and pick up somebody else off the waiver wire. But I look at just the first two weeks for the defense uh, for for that window. Then on top of that, just uh, practice mock drafts. The two-minute timer redraft goes so much faster than your dynasty leagues where you've got an eight-hour clock and you can just make trades or talk and, and all that. Just get in the habit of practicing so that you know where other people are taking with all the latest news and check your news, not only before your draft, but during your draft, there could be a player injury that happens in the middle of your draft. The last thing you want to do is take somebody and then find out, Oh, if only I had to check Twitter or if only I had to check the news, they just got banged up. And now that the games are over, it's a little bit harder for them to get hurt, but they can still get hurt. Absolutely. Um, I, w- I wanted to highlight two things here to close the show. Uh, the first one is um, a piece of content that it was really a joy to put together. Um, and I had a couple of different startup draft journeys in August. Not super common for me, uh, but that's the way the schedule worked out this year where that I could really get in there. One of them was an auction, couldn't really say no to the format, uh, and just a, real, a, a joy to do. Um, and that was with UTH uh, Superfan Trey. And he came on, I believe he did four or five different shows between his own startup draft and then a series and then one that we did together. And so I just wanted to thank him for coming on. He donated a lot of his time in the month of August for content. And one of those things, and I listen back, I don't listen to all my shows, but I, um, I, I listen to occasionally some for self-scouting. And one of them though, that as we were doing it, I said, this is special. And we did a seven-round dynasty startup auction that was through uh, through ESPN, and it was a hybrid. So we did that night, and then we did a slow auction, which was a really cool format because we finished overall in about a week. So it was very quick. Um, but the three hours or so that we were just talking as players were coming up, talking about our overall strategy and team building and bidding and each player and all this stuff... It was three hours and it was really a great listen. And it's going to be something that for auction content or talking about the mechanics of doing a live auction, it was really something that I'm going to point back to in future years, future months, when people ask about auction content. And it's going to be something that I hope to do again in the future with live auction startup uh, that I just really felt enjoyable, uh, both with Trey and the fact that we were able to produce that that show. Um, and it's episode 174 from a few days ago, if people want to go into the premium podcast and listen. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to highlight. The other thing is just the, the detail you're going to get and early in the week. Um, in season as a general manager subscriber, that for example, every preseason game you get the 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 highlights, the hits, the concise information distilled down, as I say in every show, um, and and a lot of valuable information about depth charts, mining the waiver wire, and 
just really good practice over these three weeks. That's now complete. But every Monday morning, you're going to get it in your inbox for the premium podcast. It's probably going to be 60 to 90 minutes in a given week. And you're going to get a few minutes on every single game where the big things, you're going to also get the, you know, this player really should have had a better game. You know, stay patient. You know, don't don't fade them in your lineup because good things are happening. The situation and, and opportunities are there. And it's going to distill down. You just don't on Sunday. Even if you're watching on, on Game Mix, even if you're watching the Red Zone, you're just not going to catch everything. I'm going to catch every snap. You're not going to have to worry about it. I'm going to not go to bed as, the, as my tagline goes until I finish that show. And it might be three or four in the morning, but I go to bed when that show is ready and complete for all of the premium UTH listeners. So that's just one of the things to kick off the week. You got a running back injury away. Make sure that's updated two or three times a week. You've got the waiver wire content. You've got now a quarterback matrix for those super flex and two quarterback leagues. So again, those are just some of the elements you're going to get on a make sure you don't forget to dot your I's and cross your T's across all of your leagues, whether they're shallow, whether they're deep, you're going to have everything covered at UTH to manage and optimize your roster on a weekly basis, which is one of the cornerstone elements to have just, you know, you have them in your room, have them in your building, and all of a sudden now you can utilize them trading and in your lineup. So uh, again, that, that'd be my pitch. If you like this show, all the premium shows are going to be a welcome addition to your listening Rolodex on a weekly basis in season. Just give it a try, money back guarantee. And again, I think once you get one or two of these Monday morning film note shows, you're going to say, well, that alone is worth the price of admission during the season so that now you get all the information you need before you even get even close to setting your waiver wire and start trading for the week. So for Katie Flower at FF underscore Skylar 399. I'm at Chad Parsons NFL. You want to hit us up between episodes with questions. Uh, the Diva of Devi, if you got any Devi questions, especially, uh, talk to Katie. But as you can hear, that you know she does redraft, dynasty, the full spectrum of of skill sets there with Katie. And again, if you have any questions about packages or other content at UTH, happy to help. Uh, my email address is admin at uthdynasty.com. Come straight to me. It's not a bot from uh, somewhere across the globe. Come straight to me. I see it. I respond in a timely fashion. It's like a 1984 hardware store where you get to know me because I'm running the shop and that's where the questions should go and where they are answered. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. 